Mariah Malt brings you a local malt for local beer, and it also brings you this. And this is Radio Brews News. I'm your host, Pete Mitchum, and in the co-chair's chair today is founding editor of Australian Brews News, the man behind the man behind Beer Matt for all your corporate beer event needs, and a Brisbane bon vivant and all-round good beer guy, Matt Kierkegaard. G'day, Matt. Oh, Prof, thank you very much for that. You, you know, a couple of plugs for me, which uh, I don't, don't think we've ever used this platform for. No, I figured it was about time. Uh, coming into the festive season, and I just figured that um, if people up Brisbane Way are looking for uh, something a little bit different for a corporate event or uh, a Christmas celebration, um, beermat.com. Absolutely. And uh, yes, uh, actually, due to popular demand, we've got a lot of uh, Christmas events coming up, but uh, one of the things I often do is beer and cheese tasting, and uh have had a lot of people say, oh, where can I get this? And of course, you, you can't get it. So uh, yeah, in the run up to Christmas, I'm doing a Christmas gift basket. So if you're looking for maybe a nice uh, bottle of uh, Three Monts and a, a French cheese, or if you wanted to stay local, a bottle of Bridge Road Saison and a nice cheese and maybe some glasses, give, give me a call. Very nice. And uh, who uh, can we give a shout out to your um, fromagerie? Uh, cheese Pleaser. Well, I do a lot of work with the uh, Cheese Pleaser, who is uh, Brisbane's number one cheese store in the city. And uh, also, uh, Peter Gross uh, is my cheese advisor who uh, works for um, Black Pearl Epicure. Yeah, and a top bloke. Terrific bloke. Melbourne boy, originally. Yeah, yeah. And he, uh, if uh, he's got a very, he's a, he's a great raconteur himself. And uh, so if you wanted he to is. do a beer and cheese tasting, give us a call. But Prof, that's probably enough uh, grubby self-promotion um, for, <laughs> for, for one podcast. That's it. Now, this week, Matt, over on Beer as a Conversation, we were lucky enough to grab uh, some valuable time with Chris McNamara, who is the Executive Officer of the Independent Brewers Association, who will give us a bit of an in-depth look at uh, the new container deposit schemes that are being launched in 23 days in New South Wales and uh, in Queensland later on as well. Uh, We might touch on that briefly, but Chris certainly goes into a a fair bit of detail, as well as a couple of other, um, I guess, twisties that we threw at him, uh, a couple of curveballs that he he managed to put a a beautiful straight bat to um, and answer without actually answering. But... uh, This week on Radio Brews News, we are going to, as I say, take a brief look at the container deposit laws. Also going to look at the liquor laws regarding venue capacity. We'll have a look at craft's next big thing, which might be a small thing, uh, and summer ales. But before we get into those, uh, I saw on the social medias, uh, on the interwebs this week, that uh, you were up uh, a bit north of your neck of the woods. on a bit of a visit doing a bit of a tour i did it was speaking of uh, corporate events it was probably the first weekend i had without any uh bookings or anything like that since about july um so uh my uh, wonderful partner and i uh decided to you know get away and of course when you get away you go to a brewery (laughs) so uh (laughs) Headed, and it, it, it was something that I've been very remiss in having not done before um, and heading up to Mullaney and the Brewhaha Brewery. Um, Matt Jankowskis, who I don't think we've ever actually spoken to on the podcast, Prof, but he, he would be an interesting guy to have a conversation with because he worked at Beaverton in London, um, had no background in brewing, um, but trained over there, came back and has really created a lot of excitement and... Um, 
on the you know, local beer scene. He was the he, he won a beery himself. He was the uh, brewer of the year at the beeries, and uh, yeah, sort of doing some really interesting beers. So I'd been I'd had a lot of regret that I hadn't been up there yet. So I, I used my weekend off to head up to Mullaney, which is one of those little rustic country towns about an hour and a half north of uh, Brisbane, sort of up in the coastal range. And uh, yeah, had a very nice afternoon up there with friends, and uh, can you know, can highly recommend the experience. And other than good independent local beer, I have a memory that Mullaney is fairly well known for. Is it dairy? There is a Mullaney dairy up there, yeah. So it's nice high country, a lot of grass. So there is a an independent dairy up there, and they make yeah you know, they sort of do some very nice milk, the sort of old school milk that still has the cream on top if you want it. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's one of those uh, Mullaney, Montville, um, Flaxton. It's one of those. Uh, tree change sorts of places where you know there's a lot of shops selling tibetan prayer flags and candles and soap and uh that sort of uh produce and and hello to all our buddhist listeners (laughs) well but i don't think it's actually perhaps perhaps you get a a gift basket with a tibetan prayer flag in it (laughs) but i don't think it's actually the tibetan prayer flags isn't it uni students and um you know greenies and vegans who buy that sort of stuff it could be, yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, and, and again, not that there's anything wrong with Nothing it. wrong with that. But it's just one of those places that seems to have a, a collection of uh, spiritual, uh, you know, agrarian folk. Yeah. But at, at the same time, some fantastic, uh, they're, they're, you know, one of the best cheese shops uh, that, that I found with a, a great cheese fridge. And, uh, yeah, so I had a lovely breakfast up there and a nice drive. And there's a terrific French restaurant up there, uh, the Relais Bresson, uh, which is fantastic. So, yeah, no, if, if you're in Brisbane, highly recommend a, a weekend away. Um, and uh, particularly if you go to uh, Matt Jankowskis' uh, Brouhaha. Matt wasn't there, unfortunately, because he was down uh, at a, a craft beer festival down the Gold Coast. But uh, I, I did enjoy his beers in his absence. I do have a memory that we have spoken about Matt quite a bit. But, yeah, you're right, we haven't spoken to him. So we probably should uh, put him on our wish list. Mm, absolutely. Mate, let's get into the news of the week. And we start off with the container deposit scheme, which, as I say, we're, we're going to get far more in-depth with the, the nitty-gritty, the nuts and bolts. But in a nutshell, uh, consumers are set to pay 20 cents more for drinks in cans or bottles from December the 1st following the introduction of the Container Deposit Scheme in New South Wales. Uh, under the scheme designed to reduce litter, most empty 150ml to 3-litre beverage containers will be eligible for a 10-cent refund when presented to a New South Wales collection depot or reverse vending machine. Um, there's been quite a bit of uh, chat on the um, forums, and one that I picked up, which is from uh, Johnny Latter, which I thought really summed it up uh, quite well. Um, not so much the efficacy of the, or, or you know, the, the ideological um, thinking behind it, but certainly the uh, just the, the nuts and bolts and, and and how perhaps it hasn't been as well thought through as it could have. So I'll, I'll just sort of pracy um, and. John, for those who don't know, from uh, Nomad Brewing and also from Experience It IT, uh, Experience It uh, Beverages. So, John's been uh, before he was involved in in the brewing side of things, um, was uh, very active in uh, import and export. So, I guess he he comes to this discussion with a fair bit of um, credibility. So, Johnny said, "Just another tax." I'm surprised mainstream media is not all over what a joke this entire scheme has been. Suppliers are being hit with charges. Government has no idea how much it will cost. Um, I pay for recycling bins at our house and I walk along Manly Beach and I see recycling bins all over the place. So how does this new tax help except make some people very rich? Um, what do you reckon, Matt? I, this, is, this has got 
shambles written all over it. Yeah, look, Prof, I mean, if it's actually solving a problem, you find it very hard to, you know, argue against it because it's, you know, if it's a tax that solves a problem, that's what you do. But it does sound like it's just been a complete debacle in terms of implementation and a debacle that businesses are, are paying for, not the government that has, you know, created the, the, the debacle. Yeah, exactly. And, and Matt, at a, at a time when I think we should be giving small businesses, entrepreneurs, uh, people who are just, you know, trying to, I guess, carve a niche outside of, you know, the industries that we've lost in Australia over the last decade or two, uh, this, we should be making it easier for them, not adding further levels of bureaucracy and, and bullshit that are very expensively won't solve a problem that perhaps doesn't even exist. I've read a report, uh, like a research sort of thing from the, um, I think it was the Victorian EPA, um, saying that there was something like 50% of people who littered did so because they couldn't find a bin. Well, I don't reckon, well, my argument to that would be, well, hang on, the the 330ml container that weighed whatever it did when it was full, you didn't have any trouble carrying it around then. All of a sudden, it's empty and you've, you've got to discard it you know, regardless of whether there's a bin around. Why, why can't we just sort of, you know, I, I think there's bigger problems than, um, you know, encouraging people to to, to, to get 10 cents back um, and, and sort of start scavenger hunts on um, on recycling night. Prof, I'm not actually sure. I mean, we've got a recycling bin. People seem to put their um, glassware in recycling yep, um, yep. bins. Um, when I go to my park, I, I don't see empty beer bottles because... Alcohol is so heavily regulated that I, I don't even think you're allowed to drink in parks anymore. Um, so people seem to have an aversion. So you just don't see beer bottles really left lying on the beach um, or uh, you know, in, in parks. So the people who are doing that aren't exactly going to be picking it up because they're going to get 10 cents for it. Um, you know, uh, and, and I, you know, I come back to, I, I, I would be very surprised if it was just a case that there weren't bins because, you know, I, I think one of the, great indicators of the downfall of society is the fact that people don't take shopping trolleys back you know their time is so important that they're not going to walk the five meters and and ironically we'll we'll piss and moan when a a stray shopping trolley left by another lazy prick rolls down and dints their car yeah well exactly so yeah I, i don't know that this is actually doing anything um and how are they going to stop people from throwing their McDonald's wrappers, that, as we discussed with Chris? You know, they seem to be, you know, the cups you get from McDonald's or uh, whatever, or soft drink cans are the bigger problem. But anyway, yeah, anyway exactly. it, it, it seems to be done and it just seems to be, you know, done in a very half-assed way, which is going to cause a lot of grief um, and, you know, cost to uh, brewers, which is, uh, as you said, hard enough for them already, and uh, which sort of comes in with our next um, next story about Source Brewing Prof, looking at you know just how hard it is to be a small business. Exactly, exactly. Let's, let's make it even more difficult for, uh, for the little guy. And um, in, in terms of, uh, I guess, while we're on the topic of, um, of bureaucratic uh, bungling, in uh, the Portland, Oregon of Sydney's West, that is Marrickville, uh, Source Brewing has opened up recently with uh, liquor licensing permission to have a capacity of 200 patrons. Uh, one developer in a nearby uh, street has put in a complaint and it looks like uh, at this stage the possibility is that source brewing will go from 200 person capacity down to a 60 person capacity. It's interesting that the local council is looking to 
really put Marrickville on the on the map in terms of, of being a you know a craft centre or you know an independent beer centre. Um, but it looks like maybe somebody dotted the wrong I or crossed the wrong T. We'll link in the show notes to the to the article. But basically, if your primary purpose is to brew beer and your secondary purpose is to serve and sell beer, then uh, it's a different licensing, uh, a different capacity sort of comes into it. Yeah, and I had a chat with Mike because um, it's, it's quite a complicated, as council stories always are, it, it sounds quite complicated, but they were granted a permission to have a 200-seat bar as part of their brewery. Um, now, the primary use of the the site is as a brewery um but you know having their own so they're given 200 uh seat bar once they had that they built a 200 seat bar um and then there's an an odd discrepancy in the new south wales um liquor licensing that 28 days after a license has been granted you can um object to it uh, object to it and a, a local developer a local business has objected to it um and now, Mike didn't want to blame them entirely because it, it's a council thing. But, yes, yeah, so they've been cut to 60 people. And they've gone back and sort of said, well, okay, well, we can't have 200, but 160 isn't really um, enough given you've given us 200 and we've built a space for 200, so can we have 100? And they've said no. Um, so it is, yeah, so it, it, it's it, it's a really difficult one. And I really feel for these guys because they acted um, on having been given permission that has been retrospectively changed um and and it will make it very very difficult for them um and it it sounds like the local mayor has come out in favor of it but because local councils have long been the subject of allegations of you know dodgy dealings um apparently councillors don't have planning permissions anymore so it's been removed from them so they can't influence it so it, it, it just sounds like a really difficult situation for source um and uh a, another example of small breweries um having problems with red tape and i had an interesting chat with uh russell Steele up here and it sounds like brisbane breweries are having all sorts of troubles as well councils whilst they love having a vibrant street culture and you know spruiking themselves as being you know the the next Portland or the next New York or the next Melbourne, um, councils just kill any new venture um, with the amount of licensing that's that's required. Another example that trying to solve a problem that, that perhaps doesn't even exist. The the, the objection is that uh, you know two hundred people at a brewery is going to negatively negatively impact the I guess the amenity of the of the local area. Uh, well, not if they're drinking responsibly and they're, you know, and even as Jade Flable sort of touched on last week, it's not the worst thing in the world to have somebody kind of, you know, walking a bit wobbly, um, you know, getting into an Uber or whatever. And yeah, maybe there's a, you know, a little bit of noise and that sort of thing. It, it's where that then, you know, the dickhead factor comes in that we have, uh, that we have the main sort of issue. So I think we're, yeah, again, at the risk of beating a dead horse, it's um you know picking on beer again. Because guarantee, mate, if it if it was a wine bar, I guarantee the objection wouldn't have come. Exactly, if it's a wine bar, you you wouldn't have that problem. And the thing that makes beer different from wine, um, as a fundamental uh, approach to the liquid, is you know wine is typically made where the grapes are grown because of the origins and the history of of wine and just the technical process of needing fresh grapes. Beer can be made in cities because the ingredients do travel much more easily. So you're never going to have wineries in the centre of a city. So breweries are the thing. Any of the uh, urban 
centers that want to have that vibrant, creative um, you know, approach to... Yeah, community hubs. Yeah, um, and they're going to be breweries. They're not going to be wineries. But that's also where the, the just the perception, the common perception about beer always sees it uh, penalised. It's always seen as being industrial. It's always seen as being problematic. And yep. it's why I beat that drum so loudly, um, you know, about we need to think how, how we behave as, you know, corporate citizens in the, in, in the beer industry if we're ever going to change that perception. Well said. Speaking of, um, of size, you came across an article in uh, American Craft Beer. Craft Beer's next big thing is being small. Yeah, and this caught my eye a little bit because, you know, the, the headline, but with all the talk of craft brewers and um, breweries looking at growing, there does seem to be a real difficulty in brewers growing to a uh, beyond a certain size because people do want small. Um, and so, yeah, just it was a, a, an interesting little art article. Um, it was based on an NPR story, um, but looking at small brewers being part of a local industry as being, you know, one of the growing trends. Um, and, you know, as we see uh, Goose Island, for example, growing, being bought and now becoming an, an international brand, it's going to be very interesting to see how they grow and, and whether they can grow the, the way that ABI wants them to grow um, or whether that growth then becomes self-limiting because they're just seen as being a, a big brewery. Another one of the big guys. Yeah. yeah. So is the opportunity there for, you know, because there's obviously economies of scale and you get to a certain size and you go, okay, I've got capacity. The only way really that I can make this business sustainable, provide a future for my family um, and, and, you know, live a comfortable lifestyle and, and do the things that I want to do, I've got to brew a certain amount of beer and, and obviously then sell that certain amount of beer. There is that perception that once you get to a certain size that uh, and i've always had a, a problem with with volumetric um, restrictions on you know what what is craft for example mm. in the in the brewers association that i can brew 14 million liters and i'm one of the good guys but i brew 14 million and one liters and all of a sudden i'm kicked out of the you know i'm in the no homers club yep but i also appreciate that the business side of things is that you um you, you've got to make the right amount of beer uh, and it still comes down to you know brand and your image and you know how you project and um how out there in your community you are um your social media and all those sorts of things um those are all important i think we just you know there's, there's no there's no golden formula is there but it would, would maybe if um if if a brewery needed to expand rather than expanding if they open up a second brewery under a different name but it was actually you know it just did the same thing, but you know, under a different name. Would that change people's perceptions, or I don't know? Uh, yeah, look, uh, Prof. I mean, I, I don't know, and you know, we're seeing it at the moment where the big guys are doing their best to try and look small. Um, you know, whether it's even something like CUB launching Great Northern as the Great Northern Brewing Company, so people aren't reading. Uh... Hey, just on that too, Matt. Just quickly, sorry, question for you without notice. Um, I noticed we're just starting to get some ads coming into summer, obviously, but uh, on the tally down here in Melbourne, uh, a new Great Northern original. What what was the first one? Is it Great Great Northern Crisp Lager or something like that? But but now we've got Great Northern Original. Well, there was Great Northern, and then they launched Great Northern Crisp Lager, which was their mid-strength, I think. Ah, uh, okay. So Great Northern Original was just up here, but then they launched the mid-strength, I think, as a to chase the Forex Gold, um, which was more of a national beer. So Great Northern is going great guns up here, and I've even seen, you know, there, there's always been the um, 
Forex gold versus VB argument about which one is more valuable. Yeah, which is the number one bit. Yeah, one by volume and the other by sales. But I saw a, so some metrics this week that show that Great Northern is uh, nipping at Forex gold's heels as well. So uh, mm. it's been a huge success for CUB, um, but partly because people, you know, whilst they see a Yaddler address, which is where CUB's um, Queensland brewery is, um, and it's the, I think the Quite biggest brewery. closer to Melbourne than it is to Cairns. <laughs> Don't tell Chris McNamara that; he'll uh, get on Google Maps to disprove you. Um, it's by twelve kilometres, Chris. <laughs> it depends which route you take. Um, well, one's twenty-three kilometres closer, so you know, and the other's twelve. It's still, still closer to Melbourne. But it, it's the the biggest brewery in the country, and yet you know, just having that great Northern brewery on it changes people's perceptions. There's that very interesting technique. So we are moving away from big brands um, and, and looking to small ones, even, you know, faux small brands, um, you know, yeah. whether it's um, because... Oh, and Jack. Yeah. yeah. What Which happened is a legendary brewing company. Is he still around? Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you speak to them, it's uh, doing very well. Okay. Oh, that's good. I don't know. The only thing that I've heard about it is someone complaining that the dog has three legs, not four. The dog in the logo. Now, now that you've seen it, you can't unsee it, but that's, that, that's all there is to it. Right. So... But, you yeah, know, I think people want small. Um, and if you can't be small, uh, they're quite happy for you to fake it. <laughs> One thing we can't fake, Matt, is our um, our last item on our agenda for this week before we let people go to go and listen to us chat with Chris McNamara over on Beer as a Conversation is uh, summer ales. It's that, uh, it's that whole concept of, you know, whilst hop is definitely the king in terms of independent beer and it's what set us apart from mainstream, we certainly are seeing uh, you catch more flies with honey than you do with vinegar, and it seems that you attract more people over to, you know, inverted commas, craft beer by giving them sessionable or um, mid-flavoured or lower alcohol, um, you know, whether it be a Kolsch, an Australian pale ale or a summer ale, uh, than you do with um, pellet shredding, bourbon barrel aged, you know, hop monsters. It's something that we've talked about. I mean, we're coming up to 150 episodes these days, believe it or not. Um, but we've talked about it a couple of times. Every time I say, you know, describe that arc that beer drinkers, that I've noticed um, a lot of beer drinkers, and I include myself in that, you discover craft beer, you get into it, you immerse yourself in it, you look for the sourest, the most hoppy, the you know funkiest, the weirdest ingredients. And then after a period of time, there seems to be a natural curve where you come back to um you know more balanced beers but at the same time a whole lot of people who you know are called gateway beers which i think is a very unfair term because when you call something a gateway beer it implies that it is a starting point where for a lot of people it is actually as far into the conversation as they want to go um they don't want to you know go on that big journey and they're quite happy with a a, like a golden ale or a pale ale you know a, a, a nice australian pale ale um, and, it, and it serves a purpose for them. But it was really interesting to see that even Cooper's um, has jumped on the bandwagon launching their session art, which when you hear about it, um, you know, it it's a cloudy, light, Australian-style um, pale ale with a little bit of galaxy hop uh, note at around about 22 IBU. Straight away you think of Stonewood Pacific Ale. Um, but they released some interesting information, you know, talking about how big that category has become. And it's one of the major drivers of craft beer. So, yeah, no, it's been interesting. And we've also seen uh, Bridge Road discontinue their Golden Ale and uh, launch uh, the Beachy Summer Ale. 
Yeah, yeah it, it, it goes to show that I think, um, and look, we've mentioned it on this podcast before a number of times, but I think it was a masterstroke of, of Ben Krause to not to step back, but to take a step sideways and, and appoint um, somebody to sort of oversee because I think it's a, a good example of how sometimes you can get a bit attached to your brands um, and, and sort of see the sales slipping but think, yeah, oh, but it's a great beer and I love making it. Um, and I, I don't know that this is the case, um, but, I, but I think the, the setup that Ben's got there, um, you know, having, uh, I guess, a... a uh, more not, not more not more critical but a, a you know a less invested eye over the over the range to sort of say you know um look at the, the what products you put out and when you put them and, and if something's not working yeah sometimes you've got to you've got to say okay give it a go um certainly a lot of gold nails around um but i don't know that many of them are not either a Kolsch or a, an Australian-style pale anyway. Yeah, and, and the other thing is, uh, I mean, I had to write a story on summer ales for Broadsheet, and, you know, it, it's interesting because there are a lot of beers that are called summer ale, described as summer ale, um, or even styled as a summer ale, when there's really not, um, in most style guidelines, a definition of what a summer ale is. So it seems to be, you know, a, a catch-all description for a, a light, slightly refreshing, but you know, slightly ailey beer. Lifted hop aroma, but, but without being, you know, overly hopped. Pretty much uh, to describe Pacific Ale, if Pacific Ale was a style, people would call Pacific Ale... Um, you know, their beer of Pacific Ale, but with the uh, trademark discussion around that um, and Stone and Wood's potential ownership of that style, people seem to have uh, called it a summer ale. Um, interestingly, I think Mountain Goat said that they would have named their beer something else. Yeah, when James and I spoke to Ian and uh, and Dave, Dave, yeah, in hindsight, whilst they do sell a bit of it year-round, it certainly peaks over summer. Um, so perhaps had they called it a, you know, a Mountain Goat Session Ale, or uh, I don't know, you know, the hoppy pale or something like that. That whether whether that would have changed, or whether you wouldn't have sold as much of it during summer. Maybe it actually sells more than it would have. Otherwise, you, you know, it's and again, that's one of those, I guess, you know, the the quirks of marketing. But uh, the interesting thing about this for me though is it comes back to that question about big and small. To me, one of the questions about a beer market like Australia is if. Everybody is making a summer ale um, with that lifted galaxy hop aroma, however they, they describe it. If the volume beers are you know, light lagers or um, summer ales, maybe even an American pale ale, how many different breweries do you need zinging their beers across the country um, and competing for taps? That's where I, th I think that we'll see you know, a lot of breweries fail to, to grow in size. Um, there'll be great tap rooms, there'll be great, you know, regionally based uh, breweries places to visit yep yeah but, but it almost hubs. becomes um self-defeating um in in terms of growth if if they're all making beers that i can get anywhere else they can get anywhere else yeah <laughs> or everywhere um, else yeah and because there are going to be brewers like a pacific ale stone and wood pacific ale they have got scale i think they're up around 10 12 million liters and 80 to 90 percent of their um brand comes through the the Pacific Ale, um, they have got uh, and are starting to get increased economies of scale. Um, so it's going to be harder. And you know, with that, they've got bigger sales teams, better promotions, all of those things. So that so they seem to be on a successful growth trajectory. And any of the small brewers who are looking to grow are going to be not only competing against the big guys, but competing against the uh, you know big little guys. 
Yeah, which is why the, the, the beauty of wanting to be small and really embracing being a small uh, brewery. If you want to get into brewing, that seems to be the model that um, has the most traction. It's really one of those things, isn't it? That's, um, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. We're talking about uh, easy drinking sort of beers. We're talking about, we keep getting back to talking about volume and, and all those sorts of things. And we've said it a hundred times, but, um, you know, it all goes well for the future. And uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, the next uh, six to 18 months, um, the changes that we see in the landscape, whether it's more buyouts or sellouts, whichever way you want to look at it, or whether it's, you know, mergers or, or uh, sadly, you know, some, some brands are just, struggle to survive but look without ending on a sour note uh we anything in the mailbag just quickly yeah prof lots of emails came in this week all starting with uh don't you know quote me on this um about the 120 dollars keg issue a couple of people are saying oh such and such a brewer is offering a five plus five so essentially a 50 percent discount but invoicing for the um only for the five paid ones um, so it's all, you know, it doesn't lead back to anybody. Um, I have seen an email from one brewer who was offering $200 for the first keg and $100 for each keg thereafter. Um, doesn't sound like it was an ongoing deal. It sounds like they had uh, some a particular brew or a particular line that they wanted to get rid of. Stock to move. Yeah, yeah stock to move. Um, so yes, very, very cheap. And and, and again, the, the thing that really surprised me um, about that $120 keg story last week was it doesn't seem to have created the vitriol um, and a lot of people came out and actually supported as, as, a, as a smart marketing move. Certainly from some of the drinkers, there was, and again, you know, on the forums, which you, you take with a grain of salt, but they were, oh, you know, the, the the greedy publicans will never pass that on. They'll just use that as a way of lining their pockets and that sort of thing. So it was all that sort of, you know, doom and gloom foreshadowing. But if it gets, um, in Red Oak's case, and that was the one we were looking at specifically, it's that was designed to, um, to, to lever itself into a market that it would not otherwise be in um, and presumably where other um, competing, you know, small independent breweries aren't aren't available either and if it does open that door even if it's just just a crack then um that's not a bad thing although the point that was made by the one hotelier that i spoke to who was just down the road never had a sales call from um red oak and never um you know and it would be coming at the cost of other craft brewers so yeah red oak is a particular case I, i think sometimes they're their own worst enemy and they don't play very nicely with the industry and as a result they don't have that you know, feeling of the industry supporting them back. Um, but an interesting article from the Crafty Pint this week about um, looking at the keg price issue. And the thing that I find astounding, Prof, is how expensive the kegs from the big brewers are. Um, you know, we, we saw it when we bought some kegs for the uh, for the exhibition. Um, you know, they're certainly on a par or above the price that you're getting a lot of independent craft beer at. Yeah. Um, but I saw a keg of Fat Yak for $308. Whoa. That, that, that was a quote in the uh, Crafty Pine article. And so on one hand, it looks very, very expensive. But then if you sign up, you know, that's where you get your 50 cent a litre or a dollar a litre rebate. Plus, you get money put, you know, for every keg that you you buy, you get building up money for your marketing budget that when you want your... Um, Umbrellas for your beer garden. Yeah, or you want... Beer mats. Um, yep. Beer mats. Not to be confused with beermat.com. Not to be... For all your corporate beer event needs. Yeah, and so... You know, on the one hand, you've you've got Red Oak coming out and sort of saying, well, you know, $120 is a great deal and you know exactly what you're paying for the keg. But then a lot of publicans say, well, look, I pay X dollars for the keg 
Um, and then I get all of these, you know, so it's almost, uh, I can then draw down on the cost. And they're just different ways of doing it. So, mm. you know, again, with the whole tap contracts thing, um, Prof, I, I just uh, vacillate between, you know, I, I understand it. And at the end of the day, it's business. It, it, it's business. And I don't think you can tell a publican, you know, if, if there really is consumer demand for independent craft beer, then publicans aren't going to get away with having, you know, nine of their 10 taps all from Lion and associated brands or all from, you know, CUB and associated brands. No, 100%. Um, well put. Actually, one of the interesting things that, and again, I don't want to sort of go off on a whole other tangent, thing is, you know, bottle shops. If you've got a fridge and you've got a fridge door, the shelf at, you know, chest height... Yeah, reaching, yep. ...is the one that moves the most beer. Yes. So if, for the bottle shop owner, every shelf of that fridge costs the same amount to stock but one is more valuable to them in that it will move more stock. So they're going to generate more money from that shelf. But so is whoever's beer is on that shelf. Because if you've got stone and wood, or if you've got Four Pines, or you've got uh, you know the, the, the small independent craft brewery on that shelf, they're going to sell more product through that shelf. So there's obviously not just a value to the store owner, but there's a value to the brewer to get their beer on that shelf. So they'll often walk in and say, look, we will give you a special deal or we will give you cash back or we will you know, pay for your signage out the front of your store to get that primo shelf space because it's to our benefit. What's your thinking about that? You know, Is that a dirty deal or is that something that shouldn't be allowed that a um, bottle shop owner shouldn't be allowed to realize the value, the added value of that shelf that they own if somebody's offering to uh, to increase the value to them? Look, at the end of the day, that's 100% totally up to the proprietor of the shop because that it's at the end of the day, it's his real estate. He has an interest in um, stocking stuff that will move and that he can make coin on. Yep. If he's got to put it out the front on the pallet in the or in the bargain bin, um, you know, it's it's detrimental to the product as well as to his business. So. If he can keep keep things moving through, you've got to do whatever you can do. Now, you know whether it's you know local marketing or advertising or um, or specials or you know the way you you print your price tickets, whatever. Um, I, I think it's totally up to them. And I think if another brewer was to come in and say, well, I reckon they might be getting a, a special deal to have that shelf, then you know that's what you're competing with. Yeah. All right. It's free market economy, and at the end of the day, you know, it's not necessarily always. Uh, inverted commas fair but at the end of the day you know there are a lot of factors in it you've got to have the right beer you've got to have the right labeling you've got to have the right color bottle there's a whole whole heap of factors and you've you've got to react to what the others are doing as well as you know as well as keeping in mind what what you want to do and um and best of british luck to all of you yeah and and, but i mean i honestly if i owned a bottle shop i would you know it's very easy to say you shouldn't do that and i don't think any um bottle shop owner is going to put you know, like a 15% Russian Imperial Stout that they're going to sell two bottles of um, to the um, really, you know, beer inside. They're going to use that for a high turnover shelf. So you are going to have a Four Pines Kolsch or a Four Pines Pale Ale or a Stonewood Pacific Ale is going to turn over um, on that shelf. Otherwise, whatever they're giving you, you're actually shooting yourself in the foot by not selling that product anyway. But if I was a bottle shop owner, 
you know, with all of the uh, principles in the world, I would find it very hard not to um, accept a, a good deal on a beer that's going to sell well on that shelf anyway, because that makes it easy, easier for me to run my business. That said, if, if I walk into a bottle shop and I see Forex Gold on that shelf, that says something to me about that venue. Um, and it's exactly the same way if I walk into a pub that's you know, had a beautiful overhaul, but then all of the taps that are facing, you know, maybe they'll have one or two taps of craft tucked around the side, but you've got the complete livery of big brewer beers there. Um, that marks that venue out as being a certain class of venue that I'm probably not going to be attracted to at the same time and, and probably not going to go back or not even walk in the front door. Um, and that's where the, the, the publicans got to make choices. And uh, if they want to go an exclusive tap contract and it doesn't hurt their business at all, that's the nature of business. But anyway, I'd, yeah, I yeah. hadn't meant to go completely down that that line. I was just no, uh, no, and almost almost a whole other. You know, I could do, I could interview you just on it, and we could do it as a beer, as a conversation, as a whole separate um, podcast episode. I think people get sick of my voice as it is, Prof. <laughs> I'll put on a funny voice. Um, but that's probably all we've got time for this week. Just a quick shout out to, and look, I know it comes on the back of a nice segue into um, disruptions and you know Uber and all that sort of stuff. Um, I noticed this week our good friends at Stomping Ground. I've got a really good campaign link to Movember. Uh, they've set themselves a target of uh, raising $75,000 for um, men's health through um, the Movember uh, Foundation by uh, donating a certain proportion of uh, every uh, – it's, it's a set price, I think, per keg. So the more kegs that venues buy of their Gipps Street Pale Ale, their gold medal winning Gipps Street Pale Ale um, – a certain amount of that will go to Movember. So is that good marketing? It's certainly it's it's a way of uh, of getting your beer out there, um, but recognizing that you're in competition with a lot of other uh, American style pale ales out there. And and you give people a reason to buy it. And and we've seen a very successful um, you know uh, the Good Beer Co. Um, which you know yeah James Grudgeon. Yeah, um, and, and I mean James is an entrepreneur. He's not a brewer. He's not doesn't own a brewery, but he does work with a lot of small independent breweries. And I've, like again, it's, it's one that I've got. I admire him as a businessman because he's sort of seen a niche and gone for it. But funnily enough, he had a beer that was raising money for the Great Barrier Reef um, called Great Barrier Beer. Yep, just wasn't selling. Um, like it was a great cause. He had a lot of support. He had the uh, Barrier Reef receiving money for it. He had the Queensland Environment Minister. But the beer itself, the cause didn't resonate with people, and so it was a slow mover. He um, created a beer for uh, marriage equality, and it's been uh, going through the roof. There you go. So, you know... Pick your cause. Pick your cause. (laughs) And and so part of me wants to to hate on his business model because you sort of think, well, hold on, it's either you either want to save the reef or you don't. If you're not, you're just a businessman and you're just picking the sexiest cause. But isn't that just to coin a phrase, old man yells at cloud because... <laughs> Shake your fist harder, boy. <laughs> what you're actually complaining about is human nature because he could put exactly the same beer out there and say, save the reef, and no one gave a shit about the reef. And he goes out of business and we don't get the marriage equality beer. <laughs> so marriage equality... Um, now, since then, mm-hmm. I've had another couple of beers come out. None of them have opened a brewery. They're all cause-related um, breweries, and every week we get a new one. Somebody's jumping on, on, on the back of a cause-related brewery. The thing I don't like about it is, is that it's bringing a whole lot of social campaigners who aren't wedded to the beer industry. They just see beer as being a hot thing that they can make some money on. What, yep. What's the term for charity? Chuggers. Or, or charity um, oh. preneurs. Um, you know, people who... Uh, Chugger's a charity mugger, isn't it? Um, yeah. I don't know. 
Is there a name for it, is it? Let's coin one. Look, probably uh, one for another episode as well. Yeah. Because yeah. I think too, you know what, in a lot of cases, I want to come home and I want to drink a beer to forget about all that shit. I don't want it staring. I don't want it on the can, to be honest. In a venue or, you know, in a, in a situation where, you know, you're at a fundraiser, sure, no drama at all. But sometimes I think, yeah, it's. I think it's just fraught with risk. I don't think everyone's into it. Well, it, but it's another form of slacktivism, you know, just like posting something, you know, changing the your, your Facebook. Change my face. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. put a, yeah, anyway. But everyone does it, and a whole lot of it is not actually supporting the cause. It's being identified with the cause, and we saw what happened to Coopers when they weren't identified with the cause. Um, you know, there are a whole lot of very popular causes out there that if you're not for, you are deemed to be against, and we won't go off on that tangent, Prof. I think we already did. Uh, Matt, it has been a lot of fun. Uh, we've certainly covered a lot of topics. Considering coming into it this week, I looked at the news and thought, yeah, not a lot in the news, but it's uh, it's amazing what we can wring out of uh, a couple of small issues. Um, been a pleasure once again. Listeners, thanks for your uh, loyalty. This will go up when it goes up. Uh, enjoy it. And don't forget to pop over to Beer as a Conversation. Thanks very much to Cryer Malt for supporting us and also Brewpack. Brews News is made possible by Brewpack, Australia's number one craft contract brewer. With over 100 craft beers and ciders on the roster and counting, Brewpack specialises in offering growing craft breweries a home for their packaged and kegged beer, no matter how crafty. Serious about handmade beers, and with an open-door policy, Brewpack's brewers love having passionate, hands-on partners in the brewery. Thinking about craft contract brewing? Think Brewpack. And uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible. And uh, nothing left to do but to strike up the band. Uh, We'll have next week an interview, Matt, we're having a chat with Liam Pereira and Dave Phillips from um, Dave's Beer Events uh, with a bit of a wrap up of uh, Sydney Beer Week. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to hearing how that went. It certainly uh, seemed to go off on social media, but finding out, you know, Dave is one of the most ambitious guys in the country when it comes to getting uh, good beer moving and into the hands of uh, punters. And so he took over Good Beer Week, and we're very keen to find out how how that went. So we will strike up the band and uh, see you all again next week. Thanks very much for listening. This has been Radio Brews News. I've been Pete Mitchum, and the other guy has been Matt Kierkegaard. And presumably next time you speak to us, we still will be. We'll see you then. Thanks, Prof. And we're out.